How lucky I feel. Are you? Are you? Are you the lucky one? How's my voice? Can you hear me? I still have one. Amen. Yeah, praise God. You know, um, you guys are a special group tonight because this is the first time I've spoken to a group in over five years. Um, and I have to be honest with you, it's been a challenge. And, um, and, and speaking publicly wasn't uncommon for me. I, um, I've spoke to groups of nearly a thousand uh, within my profession. And um, cancer rendered me a bit different. And so, but I kept going back to Philippians 4.13. And throughout my entire cancer experience, Philippians 4.13 was critical. I can do all things through, through Christ who strengthened me. And I found myself there frequently. I titled this, Don't Waste My Cancer. And that's not an original. That title is actually a book that was written, Don't Waste My Tension. I've never read the book, but I love the title. So I thought I'd steal it. But I don't want to be on record telling you I stole it. Oftentimes people ask me, how did you find your cancer? How did you know? And there's an important lesson in this tonight. But one of the things that I want to encourage you to do is don't procrastinate. If you have a problem, don't rub dirt on it. Find out what it is. Um, I had swelling in my neck. We've all had swollen glands, right? And I kind of ignored it. I was up on a farm, one of my farms I was working, and my neck was kind of sore. And then I'm a runner. And I was doing some running, and... At the end of that run, often, at the end of a run, oftentimes I felt something on the back of my throat. I, I just felt like there was something I needed to get rid of. And I couldn't spit it out. So I had a little swelling going on here. I had a little something going on in the back of my tongue. And I just couldn't spit it out. Well, I didn't put the two together at all. And finally one day enough testosterone flared up in me and I said, you're coming out. Whatever you are, you're coming out. And so I strained to get it out. And I felt as if someone took an ice pit and just took it to the back of my throat and just jammed it through my tongue. And I swallowed it, whatever it was. And then blood poured out of my mouth. I thought, well, this is good. This is dandy. So I got a hold of my doctor, and I said, you know those uh, antibiotics were taken for a swollen gland? And he said, yeah. I said, I don't think it's worth it. I think there's more to it. So I went in, which we, we talked, and then I, I got sent to ear, nose, and throat. Time for a CT scan. I said, Steve, we've got a problem. We've got... Uh, it's in your lymph nodes. I said, what's it? Well, we've got some growth in the lymph nodes. They're stacked on top of each other in your neck. They're pretty good size. And he said, I think you have squamous cell carcinoma. Well, it sounds innocent enough. Squamous cell carcinoma. I don't know what that is. 
Later on, I sat down with him. He confirmed it. First thing I said to him was, can I beat it? He said, it's a long, tough fight. I said, I didn't ask you that. I asked you if I could beat it. So it's possible. So that's all I needed to hear. So was, I'm not dying from it. I'm just going to tell you that right now. He said, you're stubborn enough. I'm buying it. I said, I believe you, brother. So don't procrastinate. If something's nagging you, check into it. I probably should have done that a lot earlier. And had I done that, I might have not gone through as much as I went through. I'm in a fog. I'm in a total daze at this point. And you've got to understand, normally I'm a man with a plan. If there's a problem, we identify the problem. We come up with a solution and we implement the plan. Easy enough? Easy enough, right? Some of you guys in here do that too? That's the plan. All of a sudden I realize I have no plan at all. I'm not in control. I can't diagnose this thing. I can't treat it. And I have no say in the outcome of it whatsoever. I am naked. And by the way, this is a lot easier tonight because I was told to envision you all naked and I would be fine. I couldn't do that. I tried. And all of a sudden I realized for the first time in my adult life, at least in my feelings were, that it's just me and God. I don't have anybody else. Now I have my wife. Don't get me wrong. Forty years this month, by the way. Amen? Amen. And um, it was a feeling of total reliance like I have never, ever felt in my life. Never. And, you know, it felt good. It, it did. It felt good. It was strange. But I felt a sense of comfort. Now, but that shouldn't be surprising, should it, really? I mean, should that surprise us all that much? But it felt good. So, and I also noticed something else in my mind. I had no, no room for trivial matters up there. When I, when I was going through this, and right after the diagnosis, there was no vacancies for the trivial. Only the VIPs get a room in this brain right now. Only the things that matter. Because the things that didn't matter just couldn't find space up there. Maybe we ought to live like that more often. Um, but you know the realization that I, I came to more than any, any time in my entire life was I never was in control of my life. I've never been in control of my life. And you're not either. I know that sometimes is a real tough blow to you, but you're not. And... I thought, I've never been more dependent on God. Guys, I've always been dependent on God and nothing but. And you are too. So those aren't revelations. But the realization for me was, I've always been dependent. And I've never been in control. Renee and I prayed diligently. And I mean diligently. What to do? What do you do? So, you guys know my wife. The march starts. Honey, would you grab my bottle of water back there? Thank you. Um, she jumps into action. That's what Renee does. I'm sitting there on the couch, just a complete vegetable. She jumps into action. Thank you, Renee. 
She's on the phone with Mayo Clinic. She's on the phone with MD Anderson. She's on the phone with John Hodgson. She's on the phone with anybody who'll listen. And what they're saying to her is, ah, send us your records, send us your information, and we'll let you know in a couple of weeks. How's that feel? You've got stage four cancer, and we'll let you know in a few weeks. Not urgent enough for me, and certainly not urgent enough for her. So, we had heard about the CCTA, Cancer Center Treatments of America. And, <clears throat> pardon me, <clears throat> Renee got on the phone with them. Pretty amazing group. We had a phone call, one phone call. All the other organizations, nothing against them, they're tremendous institutions. But they said, give us the name of your primary care physician. Leave the rest to us. <clears throat> that was it. Two days we were on a plane. Sent air, airfare. We're on a plane to Chicago, Illinois. Actually going to Zion, just north. Picked us up in a limo. Not bad, huh? We're in a limousine. And I don't mean, I mean, it was nice. Had all types of things to drink and to eat. And we arrived in Zion, Illinois, massive institution. I remember how small I felt when I was sitting there looking at the front door. Lost and scared, folks. We were lost and scared. Went into the registration. You talked about a depressing place initially. The institution itself turned out to be phenomenal. But just in that registration area, the place was packed with zombies. Just zombies. I mean, lifeless forms, just sitting in chairs, staring at each other, wondering, what do you have? Are you going to live? Which one of you is sick, your wife or you? I mean, we're just all waiting to go through the process. And finally, I got that wristband. Patient. I'm a patient. That was a hard moment for me. I've never been sick hardly in my life. Patient. So, we continued our zombie-like behavior for the next 24 hours, Renee and I. And finally, Renee being Renee, she called for a pinky square. A pinky square. She said, come here, we're doing a pinky square. I said, all right, we're pinky square. She said, it's time for joy and optimism. This zombie stuff's over. No more. I said, can we throw in humor? I really like humor. She said, fine, well, that's humor. But we're, we're going to it in a different direction. And we did. So it's time to meet the medical team. Now, this is where the providence of God is so great. So just keep in mind, I have a head and neck cancer. We don't yet know whether it's metastasized through my body. If it has, I'm gone. By the nature of it, if it goes to my lungs, I won't live. Given the fact that it's sitting right here, it's highly probable that it is in my lungs and I won't live. The good news is, I didn't know that. And that's a good thing. That's a very good thing. And as a matter of fact, I was the best dumb patient you've ever met in your life. Don't tell me. I don't want 
want to know. I'm at Best Buy after my surgery. I'm going to jump forward, then I'll jump back. I'm at a Best Buy. And the dude walks up to me. The guy walks up to me. We're in the store. And you probably can't tell. I've got a scar from here to here. And then lay your face open and do all the stuff they do. And um, he walked up to me and goes, oh, man, I have a friend that had that same star. I said, really? How is he? He said, he's dead. He died in two weeks. I thought to myself, you're an idiot. <laughs> and then I thought that was too hard. I shouldn't have, I shouldn't have thought that. Then I thought, well, your mother gave birth to an idiot, and you're an only child. <laughs> so, I mean, I was just furious with him. He says, I don't want to know. I don't want to know. <laughs> Dr. Beer Lanning, she was amazing. Now, this is where it just stood, I think. She's from Loyola University, Loyola Institution Hospital. Dr. Beer Lanning headed up the head and neck surgery in Loyola, at Loyola. She was, I don't know, Clark, what those academics call that job, but anyway, she was like the grand poobah down there. That's where she was. And it turns out that Loyola is one of the top five head and neck centers in the United States. Now, I didn't know that. I went to Zion, Illinois, to be treated at Cancer Center Treatments of America. Little did I know I had a top surgeon from Loyola University and one of the best head and neck institutions in the nation. Is that a good thing? Amen. Yeah, it is good. Dr. Evan Pisic. Now, Dr. Pisic was a younger guy. And he was just kind of dad looks at, man, you're going to die. I mean, he was about as straightforward as that as you could get. Now, he didn't tell me I was going to die, but he had that way about him. It was just, he didn't sugarcoat much. They said that was one of the biggest knocks on him, although he's brilliant. They said, now, I apologize for Mr. Pisic. I was told by one of the nurses he can be a little straightforward. He's brilliant. I said, I'll take brilliant. I'm in on brilliant. Then there's Dr. Chain. Dr. Chain was my... Or Dr. Pisces was my oncologist. Dr. Chen is my radiologist. And Dr. Chen is 78 years old, been there forever. He was one of my favorites. Dr. Chen, do you think I'm going to live? And he was very calculated. Oh, oh, oh. You're stage four. Okay. I live? Can I beat this? Maybe. Have to see the pet scan. And then it came down to the pet scan. Now, the pet scan was probably the longest event in my life because the pet scan was going to determine which direction this boy was going in. Will I have a chance, <clears throat> although not assured, or will I have to come to the <clears throat> conclusion that I can be treated, but I cannot be cured. It's a tough few hours. As I said earlier, if it moves into my lungs, <clears throat> I'm history. Maybe prolong your life for a few years. High probability it's in the lungs. Good news? <clears throat> it wasn't. 
great news? Stop right here. Isn't that amazing? I felt pretty good about that. <clears throat> now, I'm out of the woods. And then they hit me with the decision time. First time I did to decide anything. Dr. Pisces, remember, Mr. Straightforward. I said, good news and bad news. All right. I almost wanted to call him Evan. He was annoying me. And he says, good news and bad news. Well, good news and good news, however you want to phrase it. I said, just get to something. He goes, um, you can have surgery, which might be followed up, which will be followed up by radiation and possibly chemotherapy, but you might be able to avoid chemotherapy unless it's outside the margins. Okay. Or you can just do radiation and chemotherapy, which was what I recommend. And uh, we think either way the outcome will be the same. Now, what question did you, would you have in your mind at that point? I didn't ask. I didn't want to know. I mean, I didn't even remotely want to know what the answer to that was. I just said, all right. I said, listen, I didn't drive all the way up here, fly all the way up here, get pecked up in your limo, but you just tell me I have to decide how I'm going to be treated. That's your job. He said, don't start with me. Don't ask me what I would do for my brother. Don't ask me what I would do for my father. He says, I'm not going to tell you. There's two choices, two options. You pick one. How am I supposed to pick one? Pick one. So I told Dr. Beerlining that. I felt she was the 800-pound gorilla in this. Not 800 pounds, very nice. So I told her up. I said, so you must want to do surgery. She said, absolutely want to. I want it out. I want to see it. I want to dissect it. I want to look at it. I want pathology to look at it. I want to know. You never smoked. You never chewed tobacco. You didn't do all the things that were wrong in life. I want to see this cancer. I want it out. Well, I didn't realize how radical surgery it was going to be. I really didn't. I mean, if part of me is cut away here pretty good. And um, But she was very convincing. And so I chose surgery. Of course, I'd like to point out that my wife looked at me. One second after her option, she said, I want it out. Renee said, let's have surgery. I said, yeah, let's do. And she was right. So we made the surgery, the decision. Time went by, preparation, and surgery um, took place. It was 11 hours long. It was 11-hour surgery. Am I boring you yet? Okay. It was 11-hour surgery. I woke up in ICU. And by the way, that surgery didn't seem like it took five, ten minutes to me. I lost a lot of blood. They had to stop. They went up this side. They were going to go up this side. The only thing that bummed me out about that was I got a facelift over here, and I still had some chub here. So I'm going, I need some balance. They didn't offer me the balance. She said, you're on the table too long. I had to get you off. So anyway, they just figured radiation would clean up this side. I had it all in here. So anyway, I woke up in ICU, and I was throwing up. 
the last thing you want to be doing with this type of surgery. I asked Dr. Beerlander one time, I said, Doc, what all did you take out? She said, let's just start with what I left. It's a much shorter list. Do it. Do it. So, anyway, eight hours worth of throwing up on and off, right, Renee? Yeah. And uh, I stayed together. It was one day, I'll tell you, funny. Had tubes all down my nose and all. And I was hooked up. I looked like some Star Wars thing. And uh, I was being fed through my nose. I can't do anything here. I'm just ripped up. And evidently, they went to clean the tube out. It stuck to somewhere in here. It was down in my stomach. And it stuck to a sidewall. So I don't know what happened to it. So finally, they looked at me. And the two doctors were talking. Another doctor was talking. And she said, well, we're going to have to take it out. I was all right with that. And the other doctor says, yeah, but if we put it back in, it's painful. I wasn't all right with that. I said, oh, hey, hey, include me. I want in on this. Well, if we have to take the tube out, we'll have to put it back. You were unconscious. You were out of surgery. We put the tubes in while you were were out. He says, we're very uncomfortable putting it back. I said, you're not taking it out then. So Mr. Paul says, how do you eat? We've got to take it out. You're not taking it out. It's time to dance. He says, what? I said, if it's stuck, let's dance. We'll start dancing. Tell the nurse to jump in there. The doctor started moving. We were dancing. Asked Renee. Had the whole place dancing. I said, now try it again. He did. It cleared out. I said, put that in the protocol from now on. Put jerk them tubes out. Just dance. I had to dance two more times before that was over with, but I never let that tube come out. They told me to take a walk, so I took one. I didn't know they meant NICU. I was all over that hospital. I was outside. I was downstairs. The, opera, the emergency room in a Chicago hospital is a really tall place to be. I mean, there's a lot happening down there. They came looking for me. I came up. And they go, where have you been? You told me to take a walk. NICU up and down the hall. I had my little tray with me, and all my stuff was with me, and I was just all over the hospital. But, you know, um, I did have an, an instance that was very scary. Renee was, uh, bless her heart, I mean, she's just tough. She's going through a lot. And finally one day I said, look, Renee, I'm feeling better. Let's, uh, let's go to the mall. Let's just go to the mall. And I'll just sit out in the car and we shop. And she said, all right, I'll just sit here and read. And I was reading. And all of a sudden, I saw Renee come out of one store at a distance and go in another. And all of a sudden, I felt something wrong. And inside my throat, I could taste blood. And then all of a sudden, it ruptured. And I had blood pouring out of me. And it just... I, it was just everywhere. And then I coughed and just blew it all over myself. I stepped out of the car and I had to spit it out again. I was between spitting it out and swallowing it. I didn't know what to do. And I remember distinctly looking up going, in a parking lot? In Wisconsin? I'm going to die here? Well, the good news is I wasn't going to die. At the time, I sure felt like it. So, Renee, I, I got out, and I walked to the store. She says, I tried to call on the phone. She, she didn't get the call. 
And I'm walking through the parking lot, and there's a woman walking by me. Her face was, she said, petrified. I just, I had it all over me. I said, just a flesh wound. We're fine. Don't worry about it. It's all good. So I got into the store, opened the door, and I just ran in and went, problem. So I walked back out to the car. She said, I had to call 911. I said, don't bother. They won't know what to do with me. Just follow my guidance. I'll just do the cancer center. So I laid there very carefully and very quietly, and I just prayed. Settle me down, man. Calm me down. Calm me down. Stop this blood from flowing. And by the time we got to the hospital, the blood stopped. That was my first $3,000 ambulance ride to Loyola University an hour and a half south. They got me in the ambulance and took me down there. I had two of those. I, it ruptured twice. Spent the whole night in the hospital. They came in in the middle of the night and tried to make it rupture again. It was miserable. It was just miserable. But I'm going to tell you some good news. You can negotiate with the ambulance companies and pay less. I'm telling you you can. Called me up after insurance and Mr. Boston owes four thousand dollars. I said, give you two thousand right now, we'll call it good. He said, give me your credit card number, let's call it good. I just they get stiff so much so often he wanted two thousand now. Took the deal. I'm just letting you know. It's a nice tip. Got through all of that, came home, time to be home. I couldn't really speak. I just I didn't have the ability. They had to rebuild my trachea. It cut into my trachea. They sliced a major nerve into my tongue, which rendered the right side of my tongue. It's just really not operable. It's kind of funny. I won't show it to you. I just really won't. But if you're looking at my tongue through a mirror, it's just such a major. Can you believe this? Ralph, you'll have to wait. Sorry about that. So anyway. The tongue is just vibrant. It just wiggles. And what it is, I talked to my surgeon. She said, just trying to find the nerve in Your tongue's trying to find its way there, and it can't. There's a disconnect, and it just sets and moves. I don't feel it. Everybody now, and some of your mom talking, they're going to be listening, trying to see what's this tongue doing. So, I couldn't speak. It was depressing. I have to tell you, it really was. Especially if you all knew me before. My voice was pretty clear. You kind of knew if it was me. If I was talking, you knew who it was. And... I pull up to a like a Sonic and I try to order. People aren't nice to the disabled. Take that tonight, okay? People are not nice to disabled people. People are hateful with me. People would bark back at me. I can't understand you. I remember one time my eyes just teared up. It's like I can't even order a hamburger without having to go in. But my voice was improving. Um, <clears throat> Renee, can you grab my little buddy back there? So anyway, um, couldn't speak. Then they had to pull teeth for radiation, for preparation. They had to pull my teeth. I, had, I lost several teeth. I'm sitting here after 11 hours of surgery. I'm all chewed up. Now i got to have teeth pulled out. That was a bummer. Hi, this is my buddy. I'll introduce you to him here in a minute. <clears throat> Made my image. So anyway, you know, I, I, I did. I tell you, funny though. I went to a drive up. I went to a bank. This is great. I went to a bank. 
And I walked up and I said, I know that I I think it sounded something just about like that. I did it back then. And she looked at me and she felt really bad. And she got excited because she thought I was deaf. She started sign language in me. She's really going at it. And I looked at her and she goes, I went, okay. I stood. She goes, you're not deaf for you. I said, no. She said, I'm so embarrassed. I said, don't. I love it. I absolutely love it. I'll tell that story the rest of my life. But she was going to town. She thought she finally could use her skills with the deaf guy. But when I, I was going to tell earlier, people are rude to the disabled. I'm going to tell you, be very mindful of that. I am extremely sensitive to disabled people right now. Because in a way, I felt disabled. You understand? It's back to Zion and radiation begins. Time for radiation treatment. 39 rounds. And I hesitated to tell you this, but it's just part of it. I think you, you, you just, you can handle it. So I went in and they made me get ready for radiation. They made me perfect fit. He's made my image, and he was built to serve me. And I'll get to him in just a second. Kind of scary looking, right? Um, but I walked in radiation day one. I walked up to a girl in her mid-30s, and I said, uh, good morning. I'm scared to death. I mean, I got all these green people just everywhere, just green people everywhere. And there's this big tube, and I'm sitting there, and she goes, um, last name. I said, Pulse, P-U-L-S-E. Date of birth, 4-30-1958. Have you pooped? And I said, been known to? Have you pooped in the last 24 hours? I said, you didn't ask me that. I said, may I ask you a question? She said, sure. Have you pooped? And she said, yes, I have. I said, okay. Can I ask you another question? And she said, I have a feeling you're going to regardless. I said, oh, you know me. And I said, is this really relevant? And she said, absolutely not. It's my thing. I just love to know if people have pooped in the last 24 hours. It's what I do. I just enjoy that. I said, you know, we have 39 more of these meetings to go. She said, I'm looking forward to it. She became very close to me, by the way. Uh, Renee and I went out and bought her a little book. said, everybody poops. Remember that little book? So I had to get her one. Everybody poops. I remember on the last day I was there, she... Uh, I was fixing to leave, and she weighed me out. And I weighed 149 pounds. And uh, I looked at her, and she came over to me, and uh, I said, may your bowels move freely for the rest of your life. <laughs> she kind of leaned into me, and I gave her a hug. And uh, I stepped back and looked at her, and I said, am I still here?
All right. I kind of leaned into her and gave her a hug. And I looked at her and I said, your eyes watering? I said, well, missed. She said, I have allergies today. I said, I'll miss you too. And uh, I never, I'll never forget her. Just something, a little, something about her. Let me jump through this so I don't get run out of time. And I'm headed there. Chemotherapy, three rounds, three weeks apart. But I love the happy juice. Oh, they had some good stuff. It was, they helped, it gave it to you to help you prevent sickness. And, uh, man, I tell you what, when I took it, the wallpaper was beautiful. Just amazing. I remember taking it and going, this place is beautiful. I liked it. Um, went home. Every six months, had to go back two verdicts a year, whether you will continue to live or die. I'm going to tell you right now, without God, that would not be possible. I couldn't have survived that. Speaking to my little friend, Paul, you tell me you're claustrophobic. They take you and they lay you on the table and they take your image and they put it over you and it fits you like a glove and your skin is about to come out of those holes and then they bolt you down. And you can feel every time they latch it, it locks you down and you're on that table. And then they slide you in the tube. So, first time they did it to me, my throat was just, and I got into the tube and they used to toss, and I said, get me out, get, get, back me out of here. So they got me out. I, I said, get, get it off me. And they took it off. I sat up, and I said, give me a minute. Hey, don't listen. We'll talk about the chain, and we'll get you sedative. I said, not only sedative. So I said, just, just let me have a minute. That was my first day. Through prayer, I learned to pray in this thing the whole time I was in there. I would pray. You know, by the end of it all, I was asleep in the tube. God's good. I didn't want drugs. I just wanted to get through it. But they bolt you to it. And if you're claustrophobic, real bad, you might need the drugs. Um, I did. I'm going to fast forward. My tongue was severely cut. And I remember saying, I can't sing anymore. And for those of you who know, I love to sing. I had the pleasure of sitting with Jerome one night. And he's so good. And I was trying to do it with him. We were trying, weren't we? We were going. We were going. You left me a couple times, Jerome. You shouldn't have done that. It made me feel bad. I couldn't stay with you, but I tried. But I love to sing. And I can't sing anymore. Brothers and sisters, just as you have a talent and a gift today, you will not have it tomorrow necessarily. Don't waste it. You just don't have it. Um, I, I remember saying, just people try to get me to lead singing all the time. For years, they would say, you got to lead singing, Stephen. I never, oh, I can't do that. I can't, I can't lead singing. I just can't do that. No, you have to. I just can't do that. You know what I did to lead singing right now? If I could just get up here and lead singing, I would lead it every Sunday from now on. If I could just do that again. Now, let's put that theory to the test. What if I would have lost my entire tongue? It happened up there. 
Cut the whole thing out. Now I can't talk. Might I say something like, if I could just talk it in. You know where I'm going, don't you? So Danny called me on the phone and said, or sent me a text, can you do peace of the week? And I said to myself, if I could just talk it in, I would. And that's why I'm up here tonight. I don't want to be a hypocrite. I don't ever plan on shutting up from here on out. I don't know why. It's funny. You go into tantrums. Sometimes you go, why me? Huh? Why me? Why, why does that happen to me? And then what now? Then you have a moment where you're in a, you come back after a six-month tour. You're gone for six tour. You're gone for six months. You come back to the center. You're sitting in the cafeteria. And on the other side of a room, you make the eye contact with the guy. You lock eyes with him. And you know you know him. But it's not who you knew. It was Frank, but it wasn't the Frank I knew. See, Frank and I saw two very different things. Frank saw a guy who was looking healthy and starting to rebound in life. I saw a man who was dying, and I didn't know. So the last time I saw him, we were doing treatments together. So I went over there, and I, I, was, I didn't want to go. But I walked over, and he stood up, frail as he could barely stand up. And I put my arms around him, and he's just what's left of him. And he said, Steve, I'm so happy for you. You look so good. You look so healthy. I didn't know what to say. I had tears on them, both cheeks. What am I supposed to say? Frank, you're dying? She says, Frank's dying. And I just held on to him and said, Frank, Frank. And he said, you don't have to say anything. I know. I know. I know you can't. How small. So then I asked myself again, now on a different end of that, why me? Why me going into it now? It's why me coming out of it, isn't it? Why why did you spare me? What now? Church, at the one minute I got left, and I could tell you many more stories. There's, there's so many. I just ran out of time. But no excuses. No excuses. There aren't any. And if we were all doing what we're supposed to be doing, me included, I'm the biggest chief sinner in here, this place would be packed. This place would be packed if we were doing what we're supposed to be doing. And don't think for a minute, you know, I, I can't do that. Let me tell you right now, you can do most anything if you're put in a situation where you have to. If your life depends on it, you can do it. But guess what? We're in the life and death business, aren't we? Isn't that what we do? We're in the life and death business. Let's be a little bit more urgent about that. I love you guys dearly. I thank you for the evening. I wish I could have maybe shared some more with you. Maybe someday I can. But I will say that the 24 hours of prayer this church did for me was enormous. It was an around-the-clock prayer. I'll never forget it. I remember that night going, who's praying for me now? It's 2 in the morning. I remember doing that because I was up. 
I love you. Thank you very much.